Hey, CF family, thank you for joining us today. We really hope that this message encourages you and blesses your life. Well, before you hear this powerful teaching, I want to encourage you to share this message with someone who needs to hear the gospel. You never know what this message can do to the life of that person. Also, we want you to know that wherever you're watching us from, you can still impact the lives of others through your giving. It is through your generosity that we can keep pushing the kingdom of God forward in our city and all over the world. Giving is safe and simple. You can go to our app or you can go to our website, cfmiami.org slash give. Well, God bless you and I hope you enjoy this message. Hey, how many of you are grateful that your identity is being in a child of God? Come on, let our Lord hear you. Come on. Amen. Let me pray for us. My Lord God, we are just so grateful that we're able to gather together as your children, Lord, to worship you. And Father, as we open up your word today, Father, I pray that you would give us eyes to see the truth in your word. And Father, let us then therefore walk in obedience and compassion. And Father, as we are addressing you, Father, we also want to pray for those in Texas, oh God. Father, again, we want to pray for them that you would go and you would minister to those hurting families like only you can, oh God. That in the midst of so much hurt and so much pain, Father, I pray that you would break through all those barriers, Lord, and minister in the only the way that you can to each of those families, Lord. God, we love you so much and we thank you. Is it in the precious name that we pray of Jesus Christ? Amen and amen. Hey, come on, let's give another shout of praise to our God. Hey, welcome Christ Fellowship. It is great to have you here. My name is Omar, and I have the honor and the privilege of serving as a lead pastor here. And uh, if it's your first time today joining us, whether online or at one of our campuses, listen, we are glad you're here. Uh, we are actually in the middle of a series called The Conversationalist. And we have been tackling pretty complex topics that are out in society today. And we always hear first from God's word first. first. We hear from Him and then we sit down with someone to have a conversation about it. And so today we're going to be tackling the topic of gender identity. It's something that's out there. We hear it every single day when we turn on the news, when we look at our phones. And so it's important for us to go to God to hear His thoughts about it. Amen? And so wherever you find yourself, open up your Bibles to Genesis chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. And you can follow along with me as I read, all right? Let's do what God's Word says. So when God created man, He made him in the likeness of God. Male and female, He created them, and He what? And He blessed them. In other words, when God created man he made male and female and then he bestowed a special blessing on each of them that is god's word you can go and take a seat everybody at all campuses again it's good to have you here on this weekend and let me start off by sharing this with you you know when i was growing up one of my favorite shows to watch late at night was espn sports center yeah, mind you, back in the day, you know, we didn't have phones and we didn't have computers. 
So if you wanted to know what took place in the sports world during that day, you had to wait to the 11 o'clock sports center to get updated in all, in all the stuff that was going on. And I stayed up every single night waiting to hear all the news. Well, follow me here. Because whenever the Olympics would come around, they would always begin to talk about this man back in the 70s whose name was Bruce Jenner. In fact, how many of you guys remember Bruce Jenner? Yeah, many of us remember who Bruce Jenner was. Now, if you're young and maybe you, don't, you, you were not aware of who he was, let me just give you a quick overview of his story. Uh, to begin with, Bruce Jenner was in the 1970s a gold medal winner. He was a, a gold medal, medal winner decathlete back in the 1970s. And folks, he was so gifted. He was so talented. Listen, that he was labeled as the world's greatest athlete. Yeah. In fact, listen, he was almost like the poster child of what it means to be a man's man, right? Growing up, every little boy that wanted to be an athlete wanted to be just like Bruce Jenner. Now, folks, Fast forward from the 1970s, fast forward almost 40 years to the year 2015. Because at that juncture, he wanted an interview with Diane Sawyer, who's a famous journalist, and he was going to make an announcement that, were, that was going to blow people away. And it was this, that Bruce Jenner, no longer in his mind, no longer saw himself as Bruce Jenner. Now, he was a she and went by the name Caitlyn Jenner. And folks, from that moment, she was now admired and celebrated for now being a transgendered woman. And folks, think about this. Get this. He went from being on the cover of a Wheaties box, which was a big deal at the time, on the covers of the Wheaties box, labeled as the world's greatest male athlete, to now being on the cover of Vanity Fair, labeled as the world's most famous transgender woman. And church, let me just bring that whole story over to our time today. Because culture has made a formal decision to accept this type of behavior as normal. In fact, some political groups, some educational institutions, certain psychologists, even medical doctors have not only accepted this behavior, but, has, but have even celebrated this, this transgender movement. Now, folks, that raises a huge question, and it's this. How does God view this behavior? Does, does he see this type of behavior as normal? And, and, and when we see someone going under the knife to change the sex, their, their, their sex to another sex, how does God view that whole transition? And family, it's a question that we have to answer today because every single day 
we are faced with this situation out in, in culture, right? But folks, here's the good news. And here's the big idea for today. Family, from the first pages of Scripture, in fact, from the very first chapter in the Bible, God already has revealed his thought on this topic of gender identity. And who knows, maybe you're watching online right now. Maybe you're here at one of our campuses and you're thinking, Omar, what does God say? Because sometimes I hear so many things going out online, on social media, that I don't even know what to think of all this. Well, we're going to find out from the book of Genesis, all right? So if you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Genesis. You can open up your Christ Fellowship apps and also your listening guides that you received on the way in. And today, listen, I have three thoughts for us on the, on the topic of gender identity. Are you all ready to dive into God's Word, church family? Are you all ready? All right. So write this down as point number one, very foundational. The first thing we need to know is that God created every person. Now, let's go back to the passage for today. It says this. So God, and what's the next word? Oh, you can do a little better than that. So God what? So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he what? Yeah, he created him. Male and female, he what? He created him, them. Now pause right there and circle the word created if you have your Bibles open for a moment. Because even though this first point seems so basic, so obvious, can I tell you, it's actually foundational and crucial to this discussion. In fact, God reminds humanity, not once, not twice, three times in one verse, that he is their creator. And folks, being a creator implies authority. And church says, and there is no more statement more infuriating to sinful man than to say that God created them and has authority over them. In fact, listen to what the book of Psalms depicts, what says when the topic of, of God having, creating us and having authority over us. Listen to how people respond. It says, why do the nations rage? And the peoples, they plot in vain. The kings of the earth set themselves. And the rulers, the politicians, the leaders, listen, they take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, Jesus Christ, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. So folks, in other words, sinful man wants nothing more than to get rid of this idea, right? Get rid of this idea that God is our creator and therefore has authority over us. And here's why. Because the moment that they do that, they don't have to be accountable to him. In fact, many of the issues that we're not only covering this week, but in the next two weeks are rooted in this thought that there's a fight in sinful man to be autonomous from God because if they're autonomous from God, they don't have to give an account to the Lord. 
But folks, the fact remains that God is our creator, meaning, write this down as letter A and B, that God is the one who determines our identity, who we are, and God determines also our purpose. Now, folks, God's word is very clear on why the purpose, why he created you and he created me. Listen to what it says in Isaiah 43. It says, everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my what? For my what? For my glory, whom I formed and made. Now, folks, notice that the purpose of every person that God created is for his glory. Now, I've sh- well, what is glory, right? Well, I've shared it with you before that the word glory in the original text means just a splendor or the revelation of something. And so when God says that he created humanity for his glory, means that he created us not only to reveal him, but also to reveal his character. And folks, here is how we reveal the character of who God is. Write this down as big number two. God created us now in his image. Now, notice, let's go back to that singular verse. Listen to what it says. So God created man, right, having authority over us. And then it says, in his own what? Image. In the image of God, he created him. Now, so get it. Each person was created to be a visible, a visible image of an invisible God. Why? God the Father is a spirit, is, can be seen, so he created humanity to be a visible image of himself. Now, the logical question is, Omar, what does it mean to be made in the image of God? Well, well here's an easy way for us to understand. Write this down as small letter A. To be made in the image of God means to think feel, and choose like God. In other words, out of everything that God has ever created, he gave humanity the ability to reason, to process and think and have the emotional life that God has. In fact, the reason that we're able to have a relationship with God, with our loving creator, is because he made us in his image in the emotional state like he is, and so therefore we can have a relationship with him. That's why birds, cats, your dog at home, they cannot have a relationship with God. Why? They're not made in the image of God. They can reason like God. But the fact that we are made and, and made in the image of God, we're able to reason like God. Now keep in mind, even though at the beginning, right, back in the Garden of Eden, we were made in the image of God, the moment that sin entered into our life, into this world, it distorted that image. Which means that now, after the fall, we don't think, choose, and feel like God, right? We are now sinful people. But part of the redemptive, redemptive work of Christ, right, at the cross when he came to die for our sins so that those who would put our faith in him would 
have uh, forgiveness of sin and eternal life. Part of the redemptive work of Christ in our lives is that now his image is being restored back to its original form. And then when we die and go to heaven and we get our glorified bodies, now we'll go back to our original image. Does that make sense? But folks, don't miss this because when God created us, not he did two things. First of all, he created us in his own image, but he did something very interesting. In fact, write this down as big number three. God also created us male and female, okay? Now, let's go back to the verse, right? There's a foundation being built on this, so I hope you're tracking with me. So God created man, he's creator God, in his own image, in the image of God he created him. And then God says male and female, he created them. Now, think critically about this. Because God, think about this, God could have easily created just one type of human being. He could have made Adam and Eve, or he could have just made Adam, or just a person. And then if he wanted to reproduce that, he could have kept just making more and more people. Just like he made Adam from the ground, he could have made each and every one of us from the ground. But he did something very interesting. He did not just make one person, humanity in his image. He then created two, male and female, two different sexes. Now, folks, why would God create two different sexes? Well, then, very next verse gives us the first reason, and that is for procreation. Listen to what God says next in the, in the following verse. So male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and notice, and then God says, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. So folks, his divine plan is that he would create two different sexes, right, who, that then they would replicate his own image and the whole earth would be filled with people who bear his image, right, that represent him. And so, not only that, but then he also, it's for procreation, but he also does something very interesting. He gives men and women different types of characters, right? Men and women are different. The way we behave, the way we think, the way we do things, right? We're different. And so notice, he didn't just give one person with all of his character and all of his qualities. Instead, when he made two he gave men some characters and some characteristics, and he gave women certain qualities and characteristics, right? You know, God is a nurturing God, but he decided to give that aspect to the woman. So a woman oftentimes, right, is a little more nurturing than a man, right? That was God's divine plan, right? He made us different. It's part of his plan. But folks, don't miss this. Because when God creates a person, Listen, there is a very specific purpose in why he creates them and what sex he assigns to that purpose. In fact, listen, God in the Old, in the Old Testament, he actually gives a warning to the people of Israel that really cannot deal with this topic. Now, Mind you, the, a good portion of the Old Testament law is no longer binding on us as a church. Why? Because now we are in Christ, and Christ was the fulfillment, right, of all the law. 
But I'm telling you, church, it's so important for us to study the law of God, the Old Testament law. And here's why. It's because it reveals the heart of God. Understand? And so listen to what he says in Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse 5. He says, a woman shall not wear a man's garment, nor shall a man put on a woman's cloak. For whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord your God. So folks, what is God saying here? Listen, he's saying that because he is the creator, the loving creator of every single person, and he assigns and never makes a mistake as to the sex that he assigns every person to insinuate otherwise, according to God's word, right, is an abomination to him. Why? Because it's almost like a rebellion to, the, to our creator. And so, folks, because God gives everyone a purpose, I want to give us some, just some, the three next points are really complex. So I, would, I want to just really focus in. If you've been, you know, zoning out, I want you to really zone in right now, online, everyone right now, because this is going to help us understand this whole gender identity debate that we hear on, right? So are you all ready? Okay. So here's the first point I want to give us about that. Write this down as letter A. Sex is the objective, physiological, and biological characteristic of being a male or female. Now, for those of you who are not too clear on what the word objective is, let me just give us a, a way to understand. The word objective refers to something that is observable data, right? When, so so, so something, when, you're, when something's objective, everyone can look at the same thing and agree, yes, that is that particular thing. Why? Because the data shows it, right? The, there's proof, there's tangible proof of that one thing that you were discussing. So objective doesn't lie within yourself. It's actually something that is common. It's outside of yourself, right? Objective truth. Now, as a creator of every human being, God determines at conception what sex that person is going to be. When there's an X and Y chromosome together, he combines, it turns out a male. When there's two X chromosomes, when he puts them together, there would be a female. Now, here's what's interesting to know, that the male and female ratio throughout history has always been very close to one-to-one -one ratio, okay? In fact, right now, the current ratio of humanity, men and women, is about 101.68 males for every 100 females. So that's right now in humanity. So it's pretty even, right? 50-50. There's, it's, pretty, it's pretty easy. So, so think about this. Billions of people on earth. Billions of people. Yet God decided to make them male and female. And the way he's done it since the beginning of time has always been one-to-one, -one, right? Now think about this. If God was not involved in any of this, if this was just random, right? People would have sex and a baby would come out. If, this, if God was not behind this, you would see in certain seasons of human history maybe being 70% male and 30% female, or 80% female, 20% male, right? If it's just random, 
then that ratio will be all over the place and most likely we will be extinct, right? Because at some point things will match and things will fall apart. But think about this. The fact that throughout human history, every time a man and a woman will come together to create a child, right? He engineers and he's determining the sex of each person throughout human history. Folks, isn't that amazing? And, and, and so sex, right, is something that is observable, it's objective, it's something that's objective. But gender, it's a little different. Now, I want you to track with me. In fact, write this down as letter B. Gender, on the other hand, is the subjective self-perception of being male and female. So the word subjective, follow me here, I want you, don't, don't lose a train of thought. The word subjective refers to something that is based on feelings or personal preference or, per, or personal taste, right? So for example, show you the difference between objective and subjective. This stand is black. That's an objective fact. Everyone watching right now and everyone in this room could see this and say it's black. Objective, observable data, right? Now, I could say this stand is beautiful. You might say this stand is kind of ugly, right? And somebody back there could say this stand is atrocious. That's subjective. Why? Because it's based on personal taste, personal feeling, and you're the one determining that, right? So you notice the difference between objective and subjective? And so let me help us understand the difference here. Sex is objective because it's based on actual data, something that you can prove that everyone could agree on. However, gender is different. Gender refers to a person's self-perception of whether they're male or female. Now, the notion of gender, listen carefully, is actually relatively new and, in, and, and only exists in the realm of linguistics. So the word, because the word gender really doesn't point to anything tangible. What, what gender points to is a person's psychological state of mind, independent from their biological sex. Now, for most people, right, their sex and gender match, right? For example, I am a male, that's my sex, and my gender is also male because I view myself as a male, I act like a male, and I, I'm a husband, I'm a father, I'm a pastor, right? And I behave, I see myself as a male. But here's what happens. Something happens when their person's sex and their gender don't match. In fact, write this down as letter C. Gender dysphoria is the discord or the disconnect between a person's sex and their gender. So someone who is transgender would say, I know I am biologically a man or a woman, but I don't see myself as that. Therefore, they are transgender. And so folks, the big question in the middle of this debate is this. Here's the big question that you need to understand. What's at in the center of this? Is my sexual identity determined by me or by my creator? That is at the center of this debate. Is my sexual identity, I'm the one who decides what I am, or is my creator the one who decides 
who I am. And so, folks, that may be at the center, and it's easy for us to focus on that fact, on that, you know, male gender and the sex debate. But folks, I want to help us understand that the people of God, there's something underneath this. In fact, there's a bigger battle brewing underneath this debate of sex and gender, and it's this. It's actually a battle of elevating subjective truth over objective truth. Let me help you understand. Underneath this debate, there is a bigger battle, right? Or a bigger issue, which is the elevation of subjective thought over objective truth. In other words, listen, the transgender movement is not only a battle of male, of sex, and gender, but it's a battle for what is true and what is real. See, the postmodern way of thinking, coming out of the romanticism area, the, the postmodern way of thinking is this, is you are whatever you feel. That's the postmodern way of thinking. You are, truth is whatever you feel. But God says, no, you are who I created you to be. I created you to be. See, folks, the, the, the battle is to elevate subjective truth or thought over objective truth. Feelings, emotions over the truth of God's word. You see what's at stake here underneath it all? But here's the thing. Here's why God warns us never to trust your emotions. Listen to what it says in Jeremiah. It says the heart is what? Is what? Is deceitful above all things, and desperately sick, who can understand it? And so folks, that verse is not only for the transgender debate, it's about everything in life. Listen, God never wants you to elevate your emotions over his word, amen? Because our feelings change, they're subjective, our heart is sinful, but God's word will never change, it's perfect. Do you believe that Christ Fellowship? But folks, let's, live in a, we, let's be real. We live in a world where this is a, a serious topic. And you already may have started to run into people who are transgender and debates are happening. And so it's a very difficult situation because God has called us to be very compassionate, right? But at the same time, God also wants to stand, us to stand for truth, right? So it's, it's a very complex. So today I'm going to call out Dr. Jason Harrison, and he is the head of school at Florida Christian, a partner school here uh, in Florida. And uh, Dr. Dr. Harrison has not only taught on this issue, but throughout the years, he's been able to help students process and navigate all of these things and all those emotions. All right. So, can you help me in joining, Dr., uh, welcoming Dr. James Har Jason Harrison? Hey, Dr. Harrison, thank you so How's much. How you doing? Good, doing good, brother. Dr. Harrison, thank you so much for being here. I know this is a complex topic, and you're, in fact, a member of our church, and I really appreciate you willing to sit here just to have this conversation because, listen, not many people would, like to, would sit here and have this conversation, but, man, you, you, are, you are bold enough to have, to have it with me, so thank you so much for joining me. No, I appreciate you having me. I'm happy to be here, so thank you. Awesome, awesome. So let's just get right into it. Okay. You know, Dr. Harrison, throughout the years, you've shared with me that you have had numerous 
conversations, right, with students, with people who have really struggled with this whole thing of gender identity. And so, Dr. Harrison, what are some of the things, what are some of the, the things that you have learned about this topic uh, as you've helped students and certain people, you know, go through, these, through this journey? What, what have you learned? Sure. So one of the things that might surprise people is when we talk to the students, they're very honest with us. They'll give you information freely. They don't hold back. I mean, they want you to understand why they're going through this. Mm-hmm. And you may look at a student and think that they are happy or successful, but they're going to tell you, I'm hurting. Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily a student who is struggling with grades or not being prosperous in sports or something like that. They might have outward signs that they're you know, very successful to the world, but inside something in there is, is hurting. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes they tell us they've been hurt by people in leadership. Sometimes they tell us they've been hurt by Christians. You know, but they're, they're looking for something to ease that pain. And, you know, all of us are born with some kind of urge or some kind of desire, you know, because we're carnal, we're sinful, we're born into sin. And it's, the way they describe it, it's really no different than someone who seeks after like alcohol or drugs to soothe their pain. They found something that they believe kind of soothes their pain and fulfills those urges. Uh, the kind of interesting part is that you know, the transgender community, that LGBT community, the way they speak into their life, they basically tell them, look, everything about you is perfect. The way you were born, you're perfect. The way you act, the way you think, your urges, your desires, whatever is perfect. And we know from God's word that we're we're sinful. We mess up. We make mistakes. But of course, each one of us would love to hear that we're awesome, we're great, we're perfect. And these little pieces of us that, you know, we, we try to fight back. If somebody maybe is a compulsive liar or a gospel or something like that, I'm sure they would love to hear, no, 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 you're fine. Keep doing that. Keep doing that. And that's basically what, you know, these communities are speaking to them. So they, they're hurting, they're searching, they're looking for something, and then they find something that brings them what they consider joy. And when we see that, they, they tell us, you know, I don't see why I can't do this. You know, they, they'll even go as deep as to say, you know, if I have surgery, it's similar to someone having surgery to correct something that might have been an abnormality when they were born. You know, so they rationalize it. They do mental gymnastics. But the bottom line is something has hurt them. They're not happy with themselves, and they want to change that. And when society says, yes, yes, please, please, they accept that. Hmm. You know, it's interesting. Uh, it, as, as you were sharing, I was thinking, it's so easy, right, for someone, when, when you meet someone who's transgender or kind of processing all this and wrestling with these thoughts, it's easy for just to look at the person and that issue. But the reality is, just like in everything in life, in every sin and everything, right, there's, there's, there's a hurting person inside. There's a person who's seeking something. And I think that the big mistake that the church can make, specifically Christians, right, the people of God, it may be easy for us to almost like keep them up, uh, you know, far from us or, or, or really, but the reality is that what they need more than anything is compassion and love and, and understanding that they are struggling with something or processing something. And so something important for us to learn because the, the LGBT community, they're, they're showing all that 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 person needs, that student, that child, you know, whatever the case may be. Yeah. And, and, and Dr. Harrison, the truth is that most, you know, most sins, if not every sin, is always... Uh, there is an outward display, right, of, of a deeper issue, of a root issue. And so, uh, in, in your opinion, as you have just talked to people and processed, you know, what is at the root of this? 
I mean, if you come at it from a biblical point of view, the root is very easy. It, it, it comes back to their heart. They, they want to take control of their life in some form. They feel like their life is out of control. They feel like they're unhappy. They feel like they have been done wrong. And again, they might be outwardly successful, but by their perception, they're perceiving themselves to be a failure. Mm. And what's interesting is when you talk to maybe young men that are dealing with this, sometimes they're smaller in stature or something like that, and they just go, it'd be easier to be a girl. Or if you talk to a young lady who might be a little stronger or more tomboyish than most girls, right. it would be easier to be a boy. Everything always talks about ease. Everything always talks about um, how much they would be better off if you know the grass is green on the other side. So it, it comes down to a heart issue. But there's a rebellion in there too because what's happened is, they, they, the way they describe it is it's almost like society has made them feel bad. So they want to go against what the societal, you know, kind of norm is. And as they listen to what's out there in social media, as they listen to, again, those communities that basically tell them, look, everything you're doing is wonderful. This is all normal. This is fine. What they tend to find as soon as they take one step, then it's, it's good for a little while. Then they got to go deeper. And, and then they'll go a little deeper and they're good for a little while and they go a little deeper. I mean, someone, it's similar to someone who drinks alcohol or does drugs, they, they eventually, what they were doing before doesn't satisfy them anymore. And if you hear any of the interviews from people who have detransitioned, that's what they talk about is, they draw you deeper in, they draw you deeper in. And at some point, some of them start to realize, I don't know if I'm ever gonna be fulfilled by this, but they feel like they are so far down the rabbit hole, can they ever even come back from it? And that's where I believe us as Christians need to do a better job. We need to love on these people and let them understand, look, God is always there. You know, prodigal son kind of idea. He's always there waiting to receive you back. But I think what they hear and what they see is in anger. We, we have to focus on helping them with their issues and not attacking the person. Sure. Loving them, but standing on truth. Being there for them at any point. And again, we have to be clear what the truth is, but if we don't show them God's love, you know, they're, they're going to feel alone. And when they feel alone, they just get more wrapped up in their sin. Right. You know, I think it's, it's, it's interesting that this, this whole debate in society, it's called gender identity. And really the word identity out in the world is only, you know, it's not used as often in this debate, you know, in this whole thought. But in the, within the God's people, we talk about identity a lot because the reality is that every person before Christ is searching for an, their identity, Right. You know, some people are finding their identity in, in work, in how much money they make, in, uh, in a lifestyle, uh, in possessions, in, you know, so many different things. Absolutely. But the reality is that when it comes to someone who's transgender and, 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 and dealing with all this, they're just like anybody else at the, at the end of the day. It's they're, they're choosing, try, they're trying to find their identity in, in a gender. And somebody, who, somebody else might be trying to find their identity in, 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 in money or in, in acceptance or whatnot. So you see the reality is at the core of that heart, they are someone who's seeking their identity just like anybody else. And we all know, right, that the only one who can the, give us our true identity, right, and give us the joy and the peace that we need is Christ. Amen, church family? And so really when we look at someone who's dealing with gender identity, they're just like anybody else. It's just such a, such a new thing that for some of us, we just don't know how to, how to really deal with right. it or approach it. And so, uh, you know, Dr. Harrison, you're, you're in close contact with a lot of administrators, a lot of different people who are in the field of education. 
Um, is this something that is really widespread, or is this something that's just more out talked in the media? But really, this really doesn't happen. You know, that's a great question because um, FACS, which is our association, Florida Association of Christian Colleges and Schools, every year we have a conference and we have speakers. And five or ten years ago, this was maybe a minor issue, barely kind of a blip on the radar. We knew it was happening in the public schools. We weren't really encountering it very much. And so I think any one of the administrators there would have told you it's a minor issue. Um, this last year at our conference, uh, I spoke on this topic to our administrators there. And when we took a poll, really basically they're saying this is the number one issue. It's the number one fear, the number one concern of uh, how to handle it at a Christian school, what are we seeing at public schools. And when you talk to these administrators, what you're finding out is they're seeing it at a bunch of different levels, even down to the parents. Um, they notice that some of the parents find almost joy or rebellion, we, we feel, in, the, in like trying to show off their children as transgendered. You know? So they're, they're driving them down a different path. We also know from the psychological studies, even from Christians or non-Christian psychologists, they tell us our young people, they form who they are for the vast majority by the time they're to the age of seven or 10. So capturing their hearts and minds at a very young age is critical. And you're seeing that in the world of education. Previously, 10, 15, 20 years ago, this topic was seen on occasion at the high school level. But now, you know, it's dropping down to these lower grades because the people who are involved in this realize if I can capture the hearts and mind of a child, it will change what their perception is. And we're not talking about, you know, loving people or hating people. We're talking about what their view is on sex, gender, identity, being God's creation. And we also know, too, that whenever someone encounters something sexually, their first, second, third encounter of anything dictates what they view as normal, dictates how they think it should be. And so capturing, again, these hearts and minds of these young people, it's so critical, and we see the battle happening and again, it makes it ever more important for parents and churches and Christian education to ensure we're delivering the truth and showing these kids, look, you are loved. You are loved by God. You are created by God. But what we're seeing in a lot of the secular areas is, look, if they don't recognize God as the creator, they don't recognize that God created them uniquely and for a purpose. And if they can take these young people and, and damage them psychologically or even physically to help cause them to step away from God's purpose, they're minimizing what God had called them to do. Right. You know, it's interesting, you know, the, the enemy is always going to work in different ways throughout, you know, throughout human history, right? He's, he's going, and, and the reality is that I said at the beginning of my teaching that really the first start is that we are created by God, that he has authority over us, right, but loving authority, and he has a purpose and a design plan and I think what the enemy wants to do, especially in the hearts of young people who are trying to find their forming, their thoughts, is really to question that and, and to really kind of destroy that because that means that, that, that they're going to start, you know, kind of veering off from, from God's plan for their life and God's purpose and really God's love because at the end of the day, God loves them. And so um, it's interesting that even at a young age, we, we really need to stand for truth and speak boldly about our loving creator because otherwise... Uh, you know, the enemy will capitalize on that for, you know, for, 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 for what Absolutely. our purpose. But, you know, I, I think, I think the, 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 the difficult thing about this, um, this topic, I think we all kind of sense it, you know, is that these are people. These are people who are hurting at the core of who they are. Um, 
people who are trying to find acceptance, trying to find identity. And so we know that, listen, from God's word, right, God is calling us to be compassionate, not only to people and students and young who are dealing with gender identity issues, but to everyone, to every single person, right? God is calling us to be compassionate, to, to represent him properly, the love and acceptance uh, that, that we have in the Lord and, and, and all, all the, the great plan that God has for us. But on the other side of that coin, right, God is also calling us to stand truth, to, to stand right. for truth, mm-hmm. right? Um, and, and like I said in the teaching, that there's an underlying debate here, right? It's not only the, the, the sex and the gender debate, but it's elevating subjective truth over ob- a subjective thought over objective truth. And so, you know, Dr. Harrison, how can we as people, right, we have different, uh, different ages, different, you know, um, roles that we play. How can we show compassion, show understanding while still standing on the truth of God? Because that's the battle that's happening here. Absolutely. You know, what we found with, because look, let's face it, students do detransition out of this. They do grow out of it. Some of them, it's a phase. Some of them, you know, they're trying it. Some of them are doing it for attention. Some are doing it for rebellion. Some are doing it because they do have that carnal urge. You know, we see all these different things. Um, but what I think we need to remember is ultimately they're searching for something. Mm. They're searching for something to soothe their pain. They're searching for something to bring them some form of happiness. And they're searching for something that will basically take away the hurt from whatever it came from originally. As Christians, you know, we're supposed to be a community that speaks into people's lives. We're supposed to be there when they're hurting. If they hurt, we hurt. If they cry, we cry. If they laugh, we laugh. You know, and I don't know if we're doing a good enough job when I talk to some of these kids or you read anything online, what you tend to see is either they have parents that are not involved or if their parents are involved, they're involved pushing them maybe to something that the parents, you know, they find joy in rebellion in, you know, so they're pushing them in the wrong direction. But as a church, we, we've got to be in their lives. You, you know, psychologically, it, we can only think one thought at a time. I know a lot of people think they can multitask, but really what you're doing is jumping from one thought to another very quickly. Right. If these young people are alone and the only thing they're thinking about is how much they're hurting and how much this one little thing provides them joy, just like alcohol or drugs or anything else, they tend to spiral into it. In some ways, what we can't do is leave them alone. We need to be clear what the truth is, but we need to be in their lives as parents, as administrators, as pastors, as friends, as families. You know, we need to be in their lives, focusing on the fact that we love you, but we may not always love your actions. You know, I've got three boys. I, I, I love them, but, you know, sometimes they misbehave or they might tell a lie or they might do, you know, but you go, that action is not acceptable, but it's not going to change the fact that I don't, you know, I still love you. So we've got to pour into their lives with more time, more love. Don't let them be alone spiraling into all these things. But I also can't underemphasize, you know, sometimes we may over-spiritualize this, underemphasize the power of prayer. Praying with these kids, praying for these kids, praying for the families, going alongside the families, because We've got to look to something greater. And if they're always looking for things of the world to satisfy them, it's going to fail them. Right. And then when it does, we need to be there and remind them, look, I know this world's never going to fulfill what you need. Only Christ can fulfill what you need. And we've got to show them that hope and love without ever wavering on the truth. Hmm. But the truth doesn't have to come like a hammer. The truth can be clear and solid, but it can still come in the form of love. Absolutely. You know, I think what... I think there's a, there's a very fine line, right, between uh, uh, acceptance 
and approval. Absolutely. And I think what happens is to so many people, they just stop and accept. I don't, I'm not going to accept you. The reality is that these people need acceptance. They need to feel accepted and loved. But there's a fine line where you don't, you, you never cross the line and then you approve of it, right? You can accept someone without a, a approving of them. And almost like f never focusing on the person, but always focusing on, on the issue, right? Absolutely. And so, and you know, it's, 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 it's a topic that I think it's going to continue to come up even more and more as society continues moving forward. Uh, but we believe that still God, God has a plan, right? God is in control. Amen, church family. And that, uh, you know, these, the people who are struggling with this, just like anybody else, and we as a church, we're called to always show compassion, whether you're meeting folks, whether you're even dealing with someone who's processing these thoughts, or even in a casual conversation. My challenge for us is that we should always, even in a casual conversation with friends and family, that as a child of God, listen, you speak with compassion about these people, amen? That you speak to com with compassion just like you would speak of anybody else. And so, and then, man, when we have them, when we're, we're ministering to them, uh, do it with, with love and compassion. Which, by the way, listen, um, if, if, if you are here and um, maybe you're watching online and maybe you're struggling with gender identity issues and you're trying to process these things and you're trying to, you have these emotions. Man, I want to tell you, listen, here at Christ Fellowship, um, our, our pastoral team is here to, to help you and to love you and to help you walk through this season. But we also have Wellspring Counseling Center. You know, for the last two weekends, our Wellspring Counseling Center is a professional counseling center. I spoke to the director. They are open. They have helped many people already walk through this process. And so if you're interested in, in maybe if you're in this situation or you know someone, a child, a cousin, a family member, a friend that's dealing with this, listen, Wellspring Counseling Center would love to talk with you and help you as you process all of these thoughts. Well, hey, Dr. Harrison, thank you so much. Hey, folks, can we give it up for Dr. Harrison big time? Thank you so much for coming here and just spending some time with us. It's a tough yeah. subject, but, man, I am so glad that we were able to discuss it. Amen, church family? Amen. So go ahead and stand up with me at all campuses. And I thank you so no, much, you man. We love me. you and appreciate, appreciate you. Yeah. And uh, uh, I want to challenge you again. Listen, we are here for you, and, and so is Wellspring Counseling Center. But can I finish up with a word of prayer? And then, and then I'll, we will be dismissed. Let me pray for us. My Lord God, we are just so thankful, Lord, that despite of what's going on in our lives, wherever we're trying to find our identity, Lord, you still provide the way, oh Lord. Father, we know that through your Son, Father, we can overcome anything in our lives, including this topic, oh Lord. And so, Father, my prayer for us is that Christ Fellowship will always be a place where we accept everyone, O oh Lord, with loving arms just like you, O oh Lord, will accept them. But, Father, also help us to stand truth because we know that ultimately the only place that we will be able to find the joy, the peace, and the satisfaction that, that, that our hearts desire is only in you. And so, Father, thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for Dr. Harrison, Lord, and his willingness to be here. We pray that you bless him and his family, and as he leads, Lord, a Christian school. And, Father, may you continue to work through him. God, we love you, Lord, and we thank you, Father. It's in the precious name of Jesus we pray, and all of God's people say, amen. All right, church family, be back next week as we continue this series. Love you all.